Well, welcome to the journey. Uh, Lori Rubio is with us today. And uh, so let me just, uh, uh, besides welcoming you to the journey, I just let me uh, uh, just briefly just share a little bit about what the journey is about. Um, journey, the journey is um, a podcast that I started a couple of years ago. And um, we just recently did our 100th episode. And in um, over that time period, it has been just stories of individuals that may have had something that they struggled with, something that uh, uh, maybe it was, it was, you know, they changed something in their life, maybe it's something that they overcame. And so it was just really about um, how to spread uh, and send uh, messages through our own stories of our life and how did those um, stories may be able to plant some seeds of hope or encouragement for someone who may be listening. And so, uh, so uh, Laura, uh, welcome. And uh, I'm glad that you were able to join us uh, today. So, uh, so Laura, maybe you could just start off with maybe first as we begin to get into your story. Um, what what does Laura what does Laura do for fun when you have an opportunity to have fun? What do you do? So I normally I like to do um, bracelets and beads and crochet. So I usually do that for for fun. Um, I had done I I like all types of music and singing and dancing. So I've done choreographies for quinceañeras. I don't know if you're familiar where they're going to be fifteen, you know, on their fifteenth birthday. So I did about two years ago. I did three or four of them, um, like every six months I will do that because I just needed that dance in me. I used to dance when I was younger. So I really like that. So choreography um, gives me that life. But then, you know, it's just a lot when you have to go to work or you have to go to school, then, you know, it was just a lot for me at that time. So then I just, now I just do beats and crocheting and that's what I do for fun. And, and maybe for for some of the some for some of the ones in the audience that may not really be as familiar, you choreographing uh, a portion of the uh, quinceanera. So maybe tell us a little bit about like uh, why 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 did we need to do that? Why why is that important? And, and maybe also talk a little bit about what what is the significance about uh, quinceanera and um, and that rites of passage. Sure. Usually for the. Hispanic, or I should say Mexican, I'm not sure if all the, in every, um, I don't know if South America will do that. I just know that for Mexico, because I was born in Mexico City, and um, the, um, they usually celebrate the 15 years for, for a girl to present her to the, to the community, saying like, now you're becoming a lady versus a girl. So now, you know, that's what it started. You present your daughter to the community. And so they do a celebration. And so they do, I shouldn't say it's a ritual, but it's more like um, the presentation and they share the values, you know, they go to church, they do a dance. You're supposed to go to church first and they have a party. And so during that party, that's when they decide that they want to do different dances. So one of the dances is you dance with your doll. So you're giving away your doll to your parents. So it's like that they present you with um, high heels and a crown. And so then you move from being a little girl to a lady. And so it's just at the end that gives the representation of like, my parents are not just letting me be, you know, like now I'm a lady and I can, well, now society knows that. So it's a presentation to society. And then sometimes they decide to do different, different dances. They dance with the dead. And then there's another dance with, um, with, uh, a group of kids. So it could be the quinceañera and four boys, or it could be her and equals to 15 people in the dance. So just depending on what the parents wants to do, you know, we've, I've had both. I had just four and then I've had 15 that will have to do choreography for them. Yeah. So, so it's, it's a, um, uh, it's a rites of passage. Right, and mm-hmm. it's, a, it's in this going from girlhood to adulthood to womanhood. Correct, correct, lady. Yes. And so, so then it's a it's a it's a ceremony that represents, and then similar to like a wedding or similar to other ceremonies where there are certain now uh, values that are stated. Of now, you're going from uh, girl, little girl ways into mm-hmm. now to being a woman to being a lady these are some expectations these are some values to follow Correct. that yes. that aspect and in, yes. in, and then the parents are it's like a an announcement of 
my my daughter is no longer a little girl, but now now a woman, now a lady. Correct. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Very very cool. I can <laughs> I can uh, I can I can see uh, have, having studied. Um, um, specifically men's psychology and, 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 and in other, uh, not necessarily in our, our society in America, but in other traditions, uh, there would be uh, rituals and ceremonies for, for men that they would, uh, like in Native American uh, traditions, uh, men would go and they would, uh, um, they would fast and be prepared to go uh, out into the wilderness to cry for a vision. And then that would be a spiritual experience where they would be asking God for what is their life purpose and what was, and, and then when they came back from that time period, typically it'd be up to four days. They would then share with the elder what dream or vision that may have been given to them. And that would kind of, uh, uh, direct their direct, like, what were they supposed to, what was their place in the village? What was their, um, and that was for, for males. Um, and, and so, uh, so I'm, I'm familiar with some of those uh, uh, initiation rituals or ceremonies. So, right. so and then, and so yeah. now did you, and I'm assuming you went through that process. Did you have a Kinsiera? I did not. Um, I had a, my, my mom had, a, I had a birthday um, party Okay. But it wasn't the same. So um, a lot of people, so when you when you do quinceañeras, you know, it, it just, it, there is a lot of, financially, you have to be prepared to do those. And at that time, when I turned 15, my parents were not in a position to have a quinceañera mm -hmm. for me. So it was a little sad. I was very sad because um, I had been, I had already designed my dress. So, you know, since I was 10, I decided, okay, this is how I want my dress for my quinceañera and we're going to do this. But at that time, my parents couldn't afford one. And so my mom decided that if, you know, if wouldn't have money, then I wasn't going to have one. So I just had a very small, it was, I invited friends, but it was a small birthday party that I had. And, um, and then they also celebrated here a sweet, sweet 16 because we were, I was in Mexico when I was 15. So at that point, we were going back and forth. My parents didn't know yet where we were going to stay. And um, so I had my quinceañera in Mexico. It was just, I had a birthday party and I didn't go to church. I didn't do all the things that you normally do on a quinceañera. Uh, but then when I had my sweet 16, um, my mom actually, you know, I went to mass and the God, you know, the priest gave me blessings and, and then we went and we had a party. But of course it wasn't like the, like, it was just a, a party. Sure, sure, <laughs> so, sure. Gotcha. So okay. I, I think that I really missed that part because I was hoping, you know, it's like, I'm from 1975. And at that time, I think that you dream with princes and the, you know, in the dresses and the prince is going to come and we're going to have all this, you know, that's how, you know, my mentality was when I was little. So I think it was something that I had dreamed, you know, with that. And then eventually you dream with the wedding and so you think, okay, this is how it's going to happen. But unfortunately, it wasn't, it wasn't that way. So, sure. so I didn't get to have that. Yeah. It, you know, it, and, it, and what's interesting about that aspect, and thank you for sharing that, because uh, I think for, for, it sounds like for you, uh, especially when you were able to help with the choreographing of, of the quinceañeras that you were asked to do that, um, you, you embraced you embraced the ceremony, you embraced what the value of it was um, because you had longed for it when you were little. Right, and so right. it, by, by no stretch of the imagination, I imagine it was just a job for you. It was, uh, it was, it was pretty important to you. It, it was. For, it you was to, yes. for you to make sure that the, for those girls and for those parents, that it was something that was special, um, that, that, that yes. were, that's a, that's a, it's a special, uh, it's a special ceremony. Right. And it's going to be a special moment that she, the girl, will always remember. You know, sure. it's, it's something that you have to appreciate because parents that, that usually pay for these this birthdays, it's a lot of money. There's a lot of things involved. And, you know, it's a lot of respect just for the kids that are participating because you have to understand that you're here, not just because you're going to dance in a quinceañera, but because we're, you're going to be, you know, with this girl representing like not representing, but you represent your um, community, um, who you are, and also the values that, that you know, that we grew up with. So mm -hmm. 
it, 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 there should be a lot of respect too with that. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, no. Well, thank you for sharing that, that, sure. that aspect. So, so yeah, so maybe, maybe we go mm -hmm. there. So, uh, so tell us a little bit about, uh, so you were born in, you were born in Mexico, but where in Mexico were you born? I was born in Mexico City. Mexico so City. I, okay. yes, we moved, um, the situation in Mexico City was hard for my parents. So in, I want to say 1989 or maybe a year before that, uh, my mom, she had uh, sisters and brothers here. And so she started looking at the possibility that maybe we should, you know, move in to um, see if we could stay. The first time we came is she was really ill and she had had surgery. So um, we stayed because of her surgery. And after that, we went back to Mexico. But then um, I was in the process of, well, I started fifth grade. So I had fifth grade here in Arizona. And then we moved back to Mexico City. And then she decided that we were going to come back. So we came back and um, things with the family there didn't work out very well because of transportation and the jobs and all that stuff. So I was there for about a year. And then we moved to Chicago with um, my aunts. And that was in 1989. And so then that was eighth grade. Then we went back to Mexico and I did, I started doing like middle school, high school kind of thing. And so in order for someone to be able to go into higher education, you need to have a certificate from, from like high school, middle school, high school, the years are different from here. So you have to have that in order to go into higher education. And so I knew that going back and forth, I needed my mom, my parents needed to make a decision of where is it that we're gonna stay? Because if I lose that opportunity of getting the certificate, then I wouldn't be able to go into a school for higher education. So we ended up going back on my third year for, um, it's called, um, it's like the high school. And so actually it was eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade. We came back when I was in ninth grade here, but I had had the certificate from eighth grade in Mexico. So it was, the years are different. Sure. So um, because of that, with that certificate, as long as I had that, I could go back and start, you know, for the higher education. But then I, it was difficult because it's like a lottery. When you apply for, to go to higher education after high school, do you have to, um, and it will be like, they start college sooner. So you will have to be able to prove them that you completed that certificate and for good, for good colleges, then it's, it's just hard to get into, into um, a place if you have not been living there for a long time. So it's like a lottery. So you have, you're either going to late night or mornings, but because, you know, usually the people that are there and study there all the time, they will get the morning shifts. Otherwise, you know, they, you, you get the night shifts. And so it was just difficult. And so I know that I needed the certificate. I got my certificate, then my mom decided to come back. And then I started here ninth grade in high school. And so um, we were back and forth. And I think that was the difficult part. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. But yeah, so I, we ended up staying in Cicero. That's where I, where I lived for, for years. Okay. And, and so did you, so at the, so in the United States, U.S. Uh, high school, then you graduated, finished high school here, here in the States, here in Illinois? Yes, yes. Okay. I okay. was, yeah, I, I finished um, my high school here, and then I started a little bit of college. But then, um, again, due to financial, you know, I, I couldn't. Um, at that time, my parents were in the process of getting our documents settled, you know, for, for, um, for residency. And I couldn't go to college because they were, I couldn't apply for a grant. Um, I, you know, I didn't have enough opportunities for scholarship. I didn't know much how the system worked for college. So back then teachers will help you and say, okay, you're gonna go to college. But you know, I, I don't think my English was that good either to understand what they were telling me. And so the help wasn't the best. Um, my mom worked all the time, she didn't speak English. My dad was working also in a different state. So I didn't, I didn't have the, the help or the guidance, I should say. I didn't have the guidance to, to, to follow up, you know, with, with my school, with my, my school. 
and and I and I can't you know even though you obviously your parents had been at different times here in the United States, not being not speaking English, um, and, and then obviously not being of being involved personally with the education American education, right. then they're not going to know what they don't know. And, Correct. And so it's going to be really hard to guide to guide you. Now, did you have uh, you have siblings, older, younger? I do siblings? I have two sisters? Yes, they're younger. I'm the oldest. So you were oh. the oldest. So mm-hmm. they were experimenting on you, anyways, as far as right. Yes. <laughs> so um, and I and I know having in and I know that you know in like in my case, I have two, I have two young adult uh, uh, two young adult children, and I my wife and I having having been through college, um, we were able to guide more so than my parents being able to guide me. Um, my, my dad had was fortunate enough that he got a scholarship to play football when he was considered in the, in the late 50s, early 60s, not college material, but because he was a, a very successful athlete, um, he ended up getting these scholarships in spite of what the school guidance counselor thought. But he didn't know I mean, he, he literally was one of the top recruited uh, football players for his position mm-hmm. in the United States. Yeah. And he happened to pick the wrong school. And oh. in, in the story of it was that he had some, what they referred to back then as unconditional scholarships, meaning if you sign, no matter what, if you play or don't play, or if, if you sign it, regardless if you are able to play or not, you keep the scholarship. Well, he signed a conditional scholarship, got hurt after a second year and oh. wasn't, wasn't able to return to the team. And mm-hmm. his, so he had to essentially go back to the, back to the farm in Southern Wisconsin. And so, but he had like you, similar to yourself, he had no guidance. Right. Right. Um, my, my grandfather was military and, and had, re, you know, had retired in the military and, and really um, didn't have any, didn't know what he didn't know. And, and so uh, that, that really played a part in uh, dictating uh, instead of my dad becoming an engineer, which is what he wanted to do. He ended up working uh, as a, you know, a maintenance electrician in a factory, which wasn't a bad job, but it wasn't, it wasn't the same. It was a physical job versus, um, you know, uh, possibly a white collar job. So. Yes, I understand. Yeah. It, so, is, it is difficult. Yeah. And so, you know, thinking back on that time and then again, being the oldest and, and in a lot of back and forth, right. What, what was probably, if you can think back to that time period, what were some of the things that were, that was difficult about that? And then what were some of the things that you learned about, you learned about yourself because you experienced that? So more, the difficult parts of that was more the English barrier because Every time you move, I mean, I, I've worked with um, with um, with students, or actually with you know, I work for um, a district, school district, and usually they tell you that students that move, you know, more than um, if you move a student from a school to another one, they lose almost three to eight months of um, of um, learning because it's so many that there's just many changes and. When I when I heard that for the first time, I didn't understand how I how I made it this far, mm-hmm. because for for my parents to move me back and forth and to move me to different schools and then to have a different language, it was it was a lot. And as a kid, I I don't remember being upset. I don't remember. It, it, it just felt like it was more like an adventure. And so we're gonna go here, and it's an adventure. And I was a happy child. I, I just knew that there were issues financially, but I just know that, you know, it was for the best, you know, for our family and for my sisters and for me. So we always try to, do, you know, to behave the best way we could for my mom and try to make sure that every, that every time, you know, we were somewhere because of course we didn't leave, we didn't have a house. Uh, we were living with aunts or uncles that we were in our best behavior. So it was hard because of the language. I, I think that every time I was in the school, um, I was very frustrated because they will either, either give me coloring sheets, you know, or they could give me puzzles or they could give me 
Um, I was really good at math because that's the only thing I understood. But then, you know, when there was science or English or any other, I couldn't participate because there was nobody that spoke the language. And so um, I guess that was my frustration because I felt as a child, I felt like, well, I can be part of this group because I don't know how to do that. So gym, of course, you know, I could run, I could play, I could do whatever I could during that time, I would just see and because you see what they're doing, then you do it and you follow the directions as good as you can. But unfortunately with the rest, it was just hard because I wanted, I didn't want to feel like I was dumb or stupid. And a lot of times that's how I felt mm -hmm. because they, teachers didn't know how to treat me. You know, how do you treat someone that you're not used to having your buildings or in your classroom? And so you feel like you're dumb because you don't know, you know, they just give you something to do just so that you're doing something. <laughs> but, but it was, and it was not fun. Sure. That's the hard part. And, and so in that case, if you stayed, if, if you and your mom and sister stayed with a, an aunt or, you know, someone like that, they, I'm, it sounds like that they were probably busy working too. Right. So there wasn't necessarily a whole lot of guidance there. No. Right. And, and, and again, um, so I'm at, and again, I'm, it sounds like you're now looking back and there's a lot of stuff that you now realize that didn't happen, but at the time you didn't know because you didn't, we don't know what we don't know. Right. 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 And um, during the elementary time wasn't too hard during my high school years. Um, I had asked because there were in, in, in Cicero, there were two schools and, and it was either west or east. And so in the port in that area that we lived, that was the west um, for for the west side, um, it looked like it was more there was no kids like me. <laughs> so when when my mom wanted to register me, they said, Well, you know, you just have to know that there is no bilingual program here. And that if she fails, she fails. We're not going to be making any, um, there is no help for the students here. So you're going to have to either stay here under at your own risk or just take her to the east side of the school. And so I was scared. And I told my mom, I said, no, I don't want to fail every class. Just take me to the other side, which was, you know, farther for me to walk because I had to walk at that time. I don't know why the bus, I don't know if the bus wasn't offered or Maybe I just made it, I'm not, I don't remember. But I remember walking to high school all the time and, um, and it was hard. There were more kids like me, which was great. And I had bilingual classes. The problem is that I didn't wanna to listen to every single class that I had, the window, the door, the floor, because that was something that I had already learned when I was in you know, elementary. And so every time there was a new kid coming in, they will go and start all over with things that were not, helpful for me mm -hmm. so I told my mom I said please wake me out of the bilingual program and put me in regular classes I will try to make sure that I can you know do my best because I can handle those classes anymore I, I need to learn something and so I'm not sure how much I learned because my English wasn't perfect but um, I know I graduated from high school with a C you know C average and um, I, I just think that for at that time for myself I think I tried my best, you know, I did what I could with the English that I, <laughs> that sure. I did. <laughs> sure, 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 okay. So, uh, and so the question, a couple different questions and, and, and if you're, if you don't either don't know the answer or, or not comfortable with the answer, just go pass. <laughs> so, um, but, um, and again, this is, this would be more of maybe, you know, the, maybe, you know, or maybe it's just kind of like a guessing type of thing, but what do you, what it's, it, it seemed like your mom, uh, parents, but specifically mom really, you know, kept, you know, having to go back to Mexico, but then, but then kept wanting to come to the United States. What was, and you refer to that it, it wasn't good in Mexico City at, at that time period when you were growing, when you were young. Um, what was, what were some of the challenges in, in Mexico slash Mexico City at, at that, from what you remember and what you know, or the stories you know of it? And then what was the hope or the belief that the United States was going to be a, a, Let's better. say better. Yeah. 
So the, the difference that in Mexico City is my mom at that time, she was around, I want to say 35, 36 years old. And so she used to work um, in one of the, in the highest tower in Mexico City. It's called Torre Latino Americana. So she used to be a supervisor for that floor. Um, people will come from different places from, you know, they will come visit. It was like the Sears Towers. It's a tourist mm-hmm. um, place for tourists. So um, she was there, but then she had an accident and um, she was really, really sick and she couldn't work anymore there because of the altitude. And so they told her that, you know, for the issues that she had and working in, in, in there, because was, she was on the 47 and because of the altitude, altitude in Mexico City, she needed to go to a place that was um, better for, for her and also for one of my sisters because she was having heart problems. And so when you're 35, 36, my mom only went to sixth grade she wasn't going to be able to find another job unless you have your own business. And I know that she tried selling clothes. Uh, she tried doing a lot of other things on her own to, to be able to do that, but it wasn't possible. So um, I know my dad had a couple of taxis and he will, you know, he will work with that, but it wasn't, it wasn't sufficient mm-hmm. for, you know, for the family. So, and for her health, so having family here and sharing that information, they said, well, maybe you can come and then we'll, we'll work with, you know, you can find a job because here they hire people that there are 35 or older in Mexico. Once you turn 35, 40, you can find a job. So they don't hire people at my age. And so especially yeah. we don't have a degree. So it's very, very hard. So the economy, it's, it's hard there because you can't find jobs, you know, and um, it's very rare when someone finds um, a place to, you know, to, to at, at our age to work sure. because they don't, it, it's very difficult. So that's the challenges that my parents were facing at the time. My dad was um, 50 and so it was harder for him too. So okay. with with that said, you know, when they come here, they both found jobs and they were very, you know, they could do it, you know, because my mom then had surgery, she got healthy. And so she was a very working woman, <laughs> you hardworking woman. So um, it is, a, that's the difference. Mm. Uh, okay. Okay. And, and so, um, so, okay. Thanks. So thank you for sharing that because that, that is something, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 50 some years old, 50, 52 years old. And I've never heard that, that aspect of part of the struggle, especially the, the mid 30 is, is being like a, a barrier or there is, uh, uh, for lack of better words, like ageism, right? That, that you're, you're, unless you have a degree there, that it's harder to be employable um, after a certain age. And we don't think in, in, in America, we don't think necessarily that 35 is very old. I guess you do if you're right. 16, but um, we, we don't think of 35 being too old to work, um, that aspect of it. So, um, and, and so, so I, I know that not, not just this year, but definitely in the last, you know, few years, there has been uh, a lot of talk about uh, immigration and, and, uh, uh, you know, you know, legal and illegal immigration and, and all those aspects. And it's, and to me, having been someone who's really enjoyed studying history, um, I think it's probably a, an aspect of why I like doing the podcast and meeting new people and, and that. Um, but outside of the Native Americans that are here, um, and, and some even argue that the Native Americans were immigrants as well, but everybody in the United States is in the outside of the Native Americans uh, are all immigrants, right? At some point they came from somewhere, however they got to the United States, what, whatever the situation was, they came here not being, their family wasn't originally from here unless they were Native Americans, right? And, and so it, it's always kind of baffled me when all of a sudden with certain different political climates come up and go, oh, no, we're going to, have closed borders versus open borders because I'm like, how is, <laughs> so, 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 so with that, how, what is some, what are some of your thoughts about that aspect of, um, 
you know, you, you, that was one of your, that's one of your experiences. Right. And so, what, right. and then maybe even some of the students that you work with also yeah. face that I'm assuming as well. There, there are, yes, there are many students or there are many people that would come here looking for a better life. So mm-hmm. we, we know that um, there's more opportunity for work. And so that's why people come here. And, um, and the problem is that, well, not the problem, but there was a time frame where um, United States provided, um, I want to say it's not amnesty, that people could just, you know, what, if you had certain years living here and following, you know, doing your taxes and all that, that you could qualify for um, applying for, for residency. So my parents fell into that category. And so, unfortunately, after that, if people come there and there's no help, because obviously you have to be here for political reasons or, you know, like refugees or, or people like that, normally for Hispanics, it's very hard unless you have family. So if you have family members that are citizens here, then you can qualify to, you know, submit um, an application and then your, your family claims you. Um, and that's how a lot of people get, you know, get their uh, documentation to become a resident or a citizen. But then for those that came here, just like I did after that, and there's no other way to, to be legal, you know, it's just unfortunate because the kids didn't know they come young, you know, they, they were babies, maybe if they were born here, they're not citizens. So when that happens, you know, what do you do with the kids? All the kids know is just, you know, where they grew up, they grew up in Rockford, that's all they know. And their parents work very hard. But then there is just no other way that they could be legal unless they have a family member or or a law passes that says, okay, so if you if you arrive from this day to this day, we're gonna allow you to stay in the United States. So it is sad because once students reach out a certain age, you can go to higher education. And so you see kids that can potentially be really, really good students, and maybe they wanna be doctors, maybe they wanna be an engineer, you know, like an engineer or architect. They can't because they don't have the documents to be able to go and to go to college is very expensive. So if you don't have a scholarship, um, if you don't have a grant, you know, and, and usually, you know, federal grants are, it's how students pay for college and they can't apply for that because they are not legal students. So then you have a population with um, no education. Um, I know that the DACA that came out, you know, that students were doing it and then that DACA came out to help students that were um, from other countries and they allow you to study. They do not allow you to use federal grants. So the parents have to pay for that. I think scholarships, you can apply for that because scholarships, anybody can apply for scholarships, but for federal grants, they cannot. So they have to have a parent that is willing to pay their education, you know, in that case. And so it, it is hard. I, I, I think it's hard for a lot of us that are here. Well, in my case, when I came here, my mother had to pay $500 every quarter and that was a monthly rent. And I, <laughs> I couldn't, I, I just couldn't, you know, I, I said, mom, I'm not gonna do that to you. I, I was 18 years old and I said, she's not gonna, she can't afford $500 for tuition for college. I have two little sisters and she has to pay rent, you know, plus food and a lot of other stuff. It was too much for us. Sure. Sure. And, and I, and I can just, I can, just as you were just talking, I'm thinking about then, then the ripple effect of, of that and not being able uh, to continue education and, and then all the other limitations, right. Mm-hmm. How that can lead to it could potentially lead to illegal activity, right? I mean, it could potentially right. lead to, uh, you know, um, maybe not necessarily violent crime, but it, it, it could easily lead to, well, how, how, how do I going to make ends meet or, right. or, or, or constantly be putting yourself in a position to get underpaid um, or taken advantage of by, by people that know that they can do that because there's not anything they really can stand on. Right. And in most cases, that's what happens unless someone decides to have their own company and really works really hard and saves and they have their own, you know, um, business, you know, just for cutting grass or shoveling snow or whatever the case may be, you know, but um, it is hard when, when, when you come from, from 
from a, from places that, that that you don't know. Well, you don't know the language. You have to be able to understand. So how does how are you going to be able to to raise your kids in a different way? And sometimes they just come and get you know people are abused just because they don't understand. They just want to have a better life, but it's just hard for them because they don't speak the language and they don't have the right documentation to do that. True, and and it kind of and this is kind of where I want to kind of go in next, right? Is is that they may not have someone at the at we're talking about if we're talking about young ones they may not have someone at the school that can advocate for them right or or, or be a guide we, we've to talked guide, about that right. numerous times can i guide them so so you you work for a school district now yes okay i, and, I do yes. and how how long have you you work for the rockford school district yes yep and how long have you been with the school district 13 years. 13 years. Okay. And, uh, it, and, that, and so with, with that, how, so t- tell us a little bit about what, what you do at, at, at your job at, at the school. And then what kind of, what's, what's for you, what's that driving force? Um, so <laughs> I, I work for, um, the department is grants as for the for the grants department and then also i'm part of the after school program for 21st century it's another grant and that's an after school program and so um we are i've worked for 13 years or what i was a secretary at an elementary school and then i moved into the payroll department and i work in payroll and then after that i went into the improvement and innovation department where you know i am working right now and so um it wasn't just documents that I had to, you know, work on. It's it's more about, you know, after school program and extended program for students. And so what I really liked about that is that we can help students achieve, you know, that are deficient in their reading or their math. So our extended day programs are more for students that are in need for, you know, they need to be, you know, higher in their reading or their math. And so we provide those services for them at the schools that have the grant funding that we receive from the federal and state okay and and so now you said you work for the in the in the grant department right so Mm -hmm. so do you maybe you just said that i just got i got lost with it but did you uh so i know that the the after school program is one of the programs that's funded by the grant but then but then during during the during the day job right then Mm -hmm. Now, are you are you writing grants? Or are you assisting in no, writing grants? No, no, I don't. I don't write grants. We it's if there's different documentation that we have to collect from the different schools for mm-hmm. you know to be in compliance, and mm-hmm. so I usually collect that information and then um, from principals and schools, you know, and um, we have non-publics and um, private and parochial schools, okay. so we have to make sure that we collect that information from them and then make sure that all that gets filed for that compliance that we have to report. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And so, uh, and so uh, similar to when you said one of your strengths growing up and where you had early success with was math. And so, so, so collecting, so collecting this, that makes sense to you, right? Because it it, it plays into your, at least it plays into your early strengths, even though, you know, as time's gone on, you may have found strengths in other areas as well. But, but I, I think, you know, um, you know, as, as I know, we've shared a little bit and is that I think of, you know, many times something that we experienced growing up um, or, or earlier in our life, and as we've navigated through that, um, it, it, it similar to what you were saying about uh, uh, why it was important for you to help uh, teach and choreograph for quinceañeras. Uh, it's equally you you know that how important it is for the, some of these grants because then it's an opportunity. Um, to help students that may fall between the cracks for a variety of different reasons mm-hmm. um, may be able to get those resources. So even though during your day job may not be, you know, you're, you're help collecting and bringing together the data and the information so that the grant writer can write um, that information. Um, but you, it's not, in some ways you kind of see the whole picture happening. Yeah, yeah. And, and it is very rewarding when, when we prepare for any of our programs that we offer. 
and we know that kids are coming and we see how excited they, they get. I mean, last, last summer it was a little challenging because we had virtual and um, it was all virtual classes, but you know, usually our summers or after school programs, kids enjoy being there. And then we are just happy that we are able to provide any help for those students. So it's, it's rewarding when you see them writing you letters or you know, they're very happy and excited because an app work or something they learn new you know, with technology. So it, it is rewarding to, to see that happening. And, and so speaking, uh, speaking of that now, I, I know that, you know, just today we went back to, you know, in Rockford, went back to remote learning. And mm-hmm. so that was another midstream decision that, you know, uh, leadership had to make. And I've had to do that with, with my counseling agency as well. Um, how, how are things regarding some of the, uh, programming how, how are some of the things that you've noticed that have changed um and, and how are things seem to be received and and, and what's the risk in, in particular if, if english is the, a second language for those students um and, and and as you pointed out sometimes it's a stretch to even say it's a second language because they may not even be there yet right um right, right. but uh how 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 is this this whole time how do you think how do you and maybe you don't know but how do you think the, the the pandemic and and COVID itself, but then also all the the responses of of how we've been trying to, to be safe. How do you think that's impacting um, some of those students? I really um, I know some of my have friends that have kids, and obviously they they and, and I say friends because I I've met people you know and in, in, in Rockford that um, that have younger kids that are coming to you know to the Rockford Public Schools and. And they really don't don't speak English. So I think their challenge is, you know, how are we going to be able to help them with technology? My experience during the summer, as I, you know, receive all the registrations for students that were um, that the parents wanted them to be part of our our um, extended day programming, it was more like, how am I going to be able to do this? And and it was simply guide them because we didn't know how it was going to be the fall. We didn't know if it was going to be online or if it was going to be in person. But I think for those that participated in our programs, it was a good opportunity to start telling them, you need to start looking at, you know, if you have a computer, make sure that you start logging in, help the student, because this may take longer than what we think. And it's better that they're prepared now than if you wait until the last minute. So I feel really proud for what our department did during the summer, because it was it gave the parents an opportunity to see what was coming, even though we didn't know yet. And, and the district was already doing it because I think the, the last part of, um, what was it, um, March, I think in March and April, you know, that we sent devices home and, 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 and parents were able to log in, but it was only for third grade, I think it was third grade and up. And so we offer programs for kindergarten through seventh grade. So we gave that kindergarten through second grade an opportunity to this is what it will be like so let's work on it to be able that you know that that you're prepared so i i think that it helped them but other parents if they're working and they're not there that was an experience that they share you know we're working and we're not there how am i going to have my kindergarten logging into the computer Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean i heard i heard many different scenarios but there's parents that said well my kindergarten knows how to do that i'm like okay so (laughs) Yeah, it yeah. just depends on how much time our, our parents can spend with the kids just to teach them one or two weeks and then let them do it on their own. So, right. Well, and I think, you know, and, and, that, and I think you just make a great, you know, point, Laura, is that in, in real time, similar to when you were talking about growing up in, in real time, those are some of the real time problems that, that families have, you know, because right. they, they, we need to, they need, they need to make money to, right. so they, so that we can live. And, and so now, you know, uh, the students are at home instead of school. And, and, and so who, who's going to be there with the students, uh, you know, when, when both parents or the parent has to work, um, how does this all, all happen? And then if you have language, a barrier on top of everything. Yes. And it's especially. Difficult. Yeah, especially in the spring when we, as they would say, we were literally making it up as we were going along. Um, I mean, I think we knew a little bit more when it came to the fall about how to prepare for it. But I, at least with the districts I worked with, that 
as much as we thought we knew, it, it was different when it actually came to happen mm -hmm. um, come August and September. And, right. you know, um, but uh, it, it has definitely been one of the challenging, uh, the challenging things. You know, I, I think though, one, I guess one of the things for anybody who's listening is I think your story, Laura, is, is actually something that's a, a, a ray of hope in the midst of this, right? So, so even though you didn't have to experience or your family didn't experience COVID at the time, right? But there was, you, if I calculate, I, I can't even try calculating how many, according to that formula of how many times you moved times four to eight months of lost learning, right? You know, I, I don't even know. I, I you lost more years learning than you actually were probably in school, right? And so, um, but at the end of it, you did pick up on, you did pick up a lot of resources. You played, you you played your strengths, and and you advocated for yourself um, in, in a lot of different areas, including asking mom not only what school to go to, but then asking her when you knew you outgrew the bilingual program. Right. <laughs> and that, it, and especially the way that they were doing the bilingual program back then. Um, right. yeah. And, 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 and hopefully uh, that we've learned something, you know, that we do better with that, you know, um, and that we give, you know, stronger content for students that are capable of having that. But this, I, I guess my point of saying that all that is, is that you, you know, I know a lot of parents are concerned about and, and, and teachers are concerned about what some students have lost during this time period. And true, the 2021 school year may not have been from an, from an academic standpoint, you know, what we've learned, but we may have learned something also equally important, right? Uh, resiliency, grit, um, and, and that if you continue working hard and working at working hard, um, that it, it, in, the, in the bigger picture, it's gonna be okay. Yes, and, and I think that I've seen for my experience receiving phone calls for parents and wanting to do the extended day programming, there are more parents that want their students to be successful um, than not. So, just because we're going through this and just because you know it may be impossible sometimes for us parents to be home with our children, if they provide any type of um, enrichment at home, whatever it is different than what they normally do, the student will learn something and then will relate that into their, you know, their, their, their life. Because a lot of our students are missing that portion. You know, we're doing testing or we're doing the math or we're doing, but if they can be included in, in, in just being with the family, talk about things, you know, read a story, tell me what you read, and, and just be part of that on a daily basis, the students are already learning and they just don't know how much that can contribute to their, to their learning for the years to come. So, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it, it's, it, it was reminding me of a previous guest. Her, her name was Laura, too, um, that, was on, that was on the show, and she talked about when she uh, came here from, came from Mexico and she learned, she said, one of the stories she said, she learned English by listening um, uh, to, to music mm -hmm. and, and, and listening to the music over and over again. And that helped her, um, it was, obviously it was fun, but it also helped her um, learn uh, the language and and similar to like what you were talking about with math and that was something that language especially early elementary you know the early math that that you didn't necessarily language wasn't as much of a barrier probably until you got to story problems and things like that but it wasn't <laughs> as much of a barrier um where how important it is for parents to be continually they may not be able to teach their 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 son math but they can read with them and, right. and, and how, how important the ability to read and to understand language um, that can carry you through a lot of different areas, right? And even cooking, you know, it's like some people says, okay, let's cook, let's do cookies. There's always measurements, you, you know, there's a lot of things that kids can learn, um, experiencing with parents, you know, while they're doing something, then 
they, you know, you can take it that as a lesson. Let's, let's do cooking today. We're going to make cookies. Yep. And then, you know, and, and, and that helps. So yes, we must have had the same teacher because my, one of my teachers and I had an English teacher, she also recommended sing along with a pencil in your mouth and just listen. So then I remember getting the Paul Abdul tapes yep. Oh, yep. with all the litter <laughs> and then I will just read them. So that's how I, how I learned. Sure, sure. <laughs> I may not know what he meant, but I knew how to pronounce it. <laughs> so it <was> <laughs> exactly. So, so, uh, so I, I thank you very much for being on the show uh, today and, 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 and sharing because I, I think sometimes we hear about certain topics, but if it isn't in, if it isn't in our living room, if it isn't in, you know, our, our own immediate space, um, we, we, we may not really grasp, you know, um, that. So I thank you very much for sharing some of your experiences and, and then some of your perspectives and, and what you, uh, what you learned along the way, but then also what you're doing now, because regardless if it's teaching dance, uh, for, for, uh, a quinceanera, or if it is, uh, uh, doing what you do during your, for your day job, or even the after school job, how important it is to, help be not only an advocate, but then help be a resource for someone who um, potentially could fall between the cracks. Thank you for having me. So, uh, so Laura, if, if there's anything that you would want anybody in the audience to leave with, what, what would be something you'd want them to leave with? You know, I really, um, I will, I will like that if they come across someone that it's in need of help, and that they can guide them. And if it's possible for them to guide them in every way or situation possible, not to think twice, just to make sure to give someone advice because they may not know if this person knows. Um, a lot of times we just don't give advice because we think that they should have all the resources. But just by providing a little bit of guidance, it's helpful for someone you know, that is 19, that it's lost for someone that is 19 that has to act as a parent in the house or as a translator for the parents. So if they can see someone that could be successful just to guide them so that they can get to, to a better place. Perfect. Thank you, Laura. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and thank you for, uh, once again, for being with us today. And like we've said, we never know, uh, how, how just one story or one part of a story may, may give somebody some hope or some encouragement for their, for their journey and where they're at on that journey. And, um, and I appreciate you sharing uh, today. So. Thanks for having me. <laughs> okay. You have a great holiday season and uh, keep up the good work in the, in the Rockford School District. Thank you. Same to you. Bye-bye. <laughs>